0: You do take that injunction in Revelation quite seriously, this idea that God will spit out mm-hmm. a lukewarm Christian. Yeah. Um, many people may feel uncomfortable with that, you know, well, what about grace, what about the fact that yeah. it's not
1: about what we do, it's yeah. it, God accepts us on the basis of what he's done for us. How, how do you kind of balance that? Yeah, but, but when you look at his grace, his grace has shown in changing us, and making us like his son, um, that passage, you know, it's interesting. Even that phrase, lukewarm Christian, I don't, I don't see that in the scripture. He refers to these people as lukewarm, and he also refers to them as blind, naked, poor, wretched, pitiable. And he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're, you're lukewarm. Now, I don't see that as a description of a believer. So as are a you Christian. saying that if you are
0: lukewarm, basically, you're not a Christian.
1: That's what I see in Revelation 3. I don't know how you can read that passage and call that person a Christian because a Christian's not going to be spit out of the mouth of God. I, 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 I mean, that's quite a significant statement because it would suggest then that on the face of it, you see a lot of churches in America that are simply full of people who aren't actually Christians. Absolutely. It, because you, it's always been that way. Um, and, and Jesus explains, look, it's going to be the wheat and the tares. It's, it's going to be this group of people that grow together in the time of harvest. He's going to show who's for real. Um, you know, you, it's, uh, from the beginning of that book, you see Israel. And yet he says, not all of Israel. Everyone who's, you know, Israel by nationality is true Israel. There, there'll be that remnant. There'll be those believers within that midst. And in the same way as there are millions and millions of people gathering in what we call these church buildings, um, those aren't all followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus says you can look at their lifestyles and you can tell that. First John says, though we people say that they know him, but he says, but because they don't obey his commands, he says they're liars. Um, it doesn't say, oh, you, you know, maybe they're believers that haven't changed yet. He just says, then no, you can look at their lifestyles and, and know that they're liars. And there's this wide road that leads to destruction, and many will go through it. But there's this narrow road that leads to life, and few will find it. And we want to, we want to tell the world, just like the world wants to say, everyone's going to heaven. There is no hell. Um, And the church almost follows suit with that, of saying we're all believers you know, in this room because we all prayed a prayer at some point in our life. I just don't see that in the Scriptures.
2: Tonight, I gathered a lot of this, what I'm going to give to you tonight, from Francis Chan, David Platt, Kyle Eidelman, and Mark Driscoll, all have spoke about this. And... It's not something that I, we hear too much in churches because it's not the, the fun gospel that, that everybody wants to hear about. In fact, as I was listening to one of the guys, he's talk, talked about how that because there are so many churches, if, if you don't hear what you want to hear, you can go down the street and find another place and find somebody who else will, maybe somebody else who will tell you what you want to hear. And we have adopted this philosophy that we have to be better, we have to, we have to do it different, we have, to, we have to give them what they want to hear, because otherwise people won't come. The sinner's prayer... I told you guys last week, this is one of those things that has just been heavy on my heart. And it's not that the sinner's prayer, in fact, David Platt, who talks about this, the sinner's prayer, he says, in, in an interview later, he says, you know what, it's not a matter that the sinner's prayer isn't, isn't um, valuable. But the problem is, is so many people have said it, walked up this aisle, like I said a couple weeks ago, we, we come to this altar, we, we drain some tears on the altar, and then we walk and we leave and we have not been changed The true gospel, the true gospel of Christ will change us. And what I want you guys to know tonight is this, is that the cost of being a disciple of Christ may be greater than some of us in this room tonight even are willing to pay. Many think, well I was sprinkled, I was baptized, I remember simply reciting a simple prayer at, at camp. Voila, I'm a Christian. I remember fighting this battle in in Wisconsin when I remember I had a lot of Lutheran friends and they would tell me, you know what, we can just do what we want to do because, you know what, we were were baptized or we were sprinkled as a youngster. We're fine. We can can do what we want to do. I say, you know what, no. The gospel should change us. The gospel should make us more like Christ. If it isn't, then there is no gospel. A gospel that does not transform you is a gospel that will not save you. I remember when we first got married, my wife, she told me, she was telling me her story of life, and it was very much like Linda's. All these things that she had done. And I was I was this young young youth pastor and I'm like, "What in the world have you just told me?" And then she proceeded to tell me that she was saved all this time. And I said, you were saved? You were saved and you were doing this? Well, yeah, because I'd given my heart to Jesus when I was young. I said, that was not a transformation. That was some word spoken over an altar that hold no candle in heaven. I will tell you guys this tonight, and this is why I'm preaching this message. I don't want any of you to stand before the white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ one day. And I don't want you to stand and you would look at Christ and say, You know what? Well, Greg, he told me I was okay. I am telling you tonight, you are not okay. If you say this, if you said a simple prayer in Bible camp, and you thought that that was going to hold you through the rest of your life, and you could live the way you wanted to, I'm telling you tonight that it means nothing. God's hand on your life, God's keeping you, God's drawing you, should not be mistaken for salvation. Are you hearing me? Some of you have felt that drawing of the Holy Spirit, even when you were walking in wickedness. Some of you have felt that drawing, that compelling. I've heard stories of people saying, you know what, I remember when when the Lord saved me. You know what, I walked out of this car wreck and I didn't know, know how I even survived. That's just God's grace. But you were still damned to hell if you had died that night. The wide road, the default gate, like Pastor Mark likes to say, the default gate goes to the hell. The other gate... The small gate, the gate that the Bible says that we have to strive, we have to make every effort. That word strive means to contend as with an adversary. I am telling you tonight, if you think you are going to coast into heaven, you are wrong. I'm going to give you scripture tonight, and you're going to, by the time I'm done tonight, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to show us that, you know what, this, this path to heaven is much different than we once thought. A Christianity that doesn't transform us will not save us, will not get us to heaven. Many of us think that this looks radical. Greg, you're setting the bar too high. People will not be able to make it. No, I'm giving you just the minimum standards. If you look at the Bible, if you look at the lives of the apostles, if you look at the lives of the disciples and how they lived, I will tell you tonight, we don't resemble that. I don't resemble that. I must resemble that. I'm not giving you some radical Christianity. I'm giving you the bare minimums. I'm giving you Christianity 101. There's no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. Lukewarm Christians are going to hell. And our churches are full of them. I was asked this week, what do you think, Greg, if... You were to go back to how you were before. What do you think if you would just go back and you would settle? Because, you know, it seems like we're just, we're, this, this life we're living is just a fight at times. He said, What do you think? I said, I think for me, there is no doubt in my life that it would be a sin. God wants us to be in orbit around Him. Picture Jesus or Christ as the Son. Everything we do, everything we say, every action we live, how our lives are, should revolve around Him. It should not revolve around this world. Everything we do should be centered. He should be the centerpiece of our life. We should be in orbit around that. When we truly know Him, everything changes. Some would say, that's just for radical Christians. That's not for me. There is... There's another type of Christian in the Bible, isn't there? Isn't there a different kind of Christian? Isn't, when, when you look through the Scriptures, don't you see just these ho-hum, settled Christians that just live their life and coast to heaven? No. Every Christian you saw in the Bible was a disciple of Christ. And they, they gave it all. They weren't just partly in, they were all in. He's going to be a preacher. <laughs> it's probably my grandson. There needs to be a distinguish a distinguishment, a distinction between a fan and a follower. Tonight in Luke chapter 14 verse 25, it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turn, and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, I want you just to get the picture here. Here's Jesus. He's got loads of people following him. Everybody wants to be around Christ. And, he's, and, and just, just to be honest with you, pastors, we love people around us. You know, we don't want to just preach to ourselves. But Ron has already told me it doesn't matter if it gets down to just me, him, and my wife, and his wife. He says, that's okay. We'll still be here. So at least I have somebody to preach to. Thanks, Ron. (laughs) But these large crowds were fans. Because Jesus, can you imagine this? They're, They're all following him. And Jesus stops and says, hey... What are you guys doing? Do you know what it means to really be a disciple of Christ? It means you're going to hate your father and mother. It means you're going to give up everything. Nothing else is going to matter. Wow, I can imagine the crowd going, well, that was not what I expected to hear. (laughs) I wanted some healing. I wanted some, you know, that's what we want in our churches. Hey, give us some healing. Give us some power. Give us some authority. Don't tell us about being discipled. Don't tell us about being disciplined. That's what Jesus did. And when He said for them to hate, He wasn't saying to hate your family. What He was saying is in comparison. Because He'd already given them the command to love your neighbor as yourself. To love Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, and mind. He was saying to them, He says, in comparison... In comparison to what the relationship between you and I are going to have, it is not even going to hold a candle to what this world is. You, This relationship with me has to be priority one. Nothing else will matter. Everything else is going to seem distant. Everything else is going to seem like it's in another universe because of how you feel about me. Amen. And what I'm telling you tonight is this. If we are walking in that place... Some of us will say, "Well, Craig, isn't there, wasn't, there anybody else, wasn't there anybody else besides disciples? I mean, wasn't there just some plain old Christians?" No, there wasn't. Look through the scriptures; there wasn't just ho hum Christians. Jesus said, "Go and make disciples." He didn't say, "Go and make little Christians." He said, "Go and make disciples." So everything we read in Luke here, he's saying to us. And if we are practicing it, I don't know where we're at. Our relationship with him should be in a different category than any other relationship. It should put us above family. It should put it above friends. It should put it even above our pets. Some of us like that because we say, you know what? Well, I can't get along with people too well, but I do love my dog. (laughs) And he doesn't argue with me like my wife does. And we'll we'll, we'll care for that dog. We'll spend hours grooming it, do all these things. And you go say, you know what? Will you spend a minute with, with Christ? Will you spend a minute with Jesus? Will you spend some time praying? Kind of busy right now. I'm going to tell you right now, if that's where we're at, we're not a disciple. Jesus was saying, I must have the first priority, the first position of priority in your life. Being a disciple of Christ will drive wedges. In relationships. It will drive wedges between your friends. It will drive wedges between your family members. I know some family members that just because they're Christians and and they've they've truly come to to the Lord, they're disciples of Christ. You know what? When they go to have family dinner, the whole family just can't even hardly stand them. Well, they're going to do that Christian thing again. They're going to make us all not watch that stuff on TV. They're going to make life miserable for all of us. If your husband is lukewarm or your wife is lukewarm and they're trying to pull you into that, I'm telling you, I'm giving you a command tonight. The Bible is very clear that, you know what, if your husband or wife is lukewarm and they're trying to pull you into that life, that is a place that you can step back from. I'm not telling you to divorce them, but I'm telling you, you're going to say to them, you know what, Jesus is number one in my life. He has priority one. I love you honey I love you husband but you know what this is the most important thing if he is going to drag me into a settled place if he's going to, she's going to try to drag you into a settled place if you're a, a, not you're not a, a, a married and you're looking for a boyfriend and girlfriend and you find someone who is not a Christian or not a disciple like, I do, like we said when we were talking Frank says I want I want a woman who loves God more than she loves me If you find someone, and you yoke up with them, and they are not a Christian, I'm telling you right now, you've already made your decision. You're not a disciple. You've made your decision. Well, Greg, that seems kind of harsh. You know what? I'm telling you what. You look at the words of Christ. His words were stinging at times. They hurt. They cut. This message tonight it hits me right where right here in the eye just like that one guy said hey you're poking me in the eye with that message I'm being poked all over the place with this message tonight that I have to come up that I need to be different that if I profess to be a man of God, if I profess that Jesus lives in my life, then I should be different. I should not be the same of this world. I should not be settled. I should be a disciple, a follower of Christ. You know what? There was big crowds that followed Jesus. But there were very few that were at the cross. In Luke 14, 27... It says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Carrying your cross in Jesus' time meant death. It meant a death march. It meant that you would carry the very cross that they would hang you on. It meant a despised and convicted and condemned life. Because as you carried that cross through the city, everyone knew that you were someone who had been, had been condemned. Someone who they spat upon you. Your, everything about you was hideous. That cross, Jesus is asking us, and we say it kind of flippantly, well, that's just, that's just the cross I bear. No. If we bared the cross that Jesus bared... It, the humiliation, everything that he he took upon himself, stripped, beaten, nailed to a cross. Minor inconveniences are not carrying your cross. My car broke down; I had to take a bus. That's not carrying a cross. I had to eat out of a, I had to eat canned food tonight. I didn't get a hamburger. That's not carrying a cross. I arrested a guy this week, and he said to me, he said he was a Christian. And he said, you know, man, I've just been so attacked. And now here I am having to go to jail again. I have, there's a warrant for my arrest. And he was just telling me how bad his life was. And how, how, you know what, he was just carrying this cross. And I said, what about the fraud that you committed to get yourself Here. See, we forget about that. The sin that brought us into this place. Maybe our mouth that we needed to keep silent. We said something about somebody or we did something we shouldn't have had to done or we acted a certain way to our neighbor and now we're having to live with that. And then all of a sudden we say, "Oh, well, that's just the cross I have to bear." No! That's something you did to yourself. That's not the cross. Many will preach about decision, but few will preach about being a disciple. Because it's an unpopular subject. Jesus was not a salesman. He was not trying to market or con his way into people's lives like we do today. Jesus wouldn't market to the masses by means to bring people to to Christ. As the masses were following him, he said, Do you guys really know what you're doing? If you're really a follower of me, then go sell everything. A friend of mine told me this week, says, a friend of his told him, says, well, that, just, that was just symbolically. No, what he's saying is, you know what, that we should have that attitude that no matter what it takes, if there's an area of my life, if it's something, you know, this week I had to make a financial decision and I made the decision and then the Lord convicted me. He said, Greg, you didn't even inquire of me. You bonehead. <laughs> and I, I stopped everything that was going on, and I, I got on my knees, and I began to pray about it, and I spent the next couple days, and I even asked the Lord, some certain things were going to happen that I thought would go a, a negative one way, and I thought that would be my answer. I said, Lord, if, it, it's got to it's it's jump over here to be the answer that I originally had. And so I, I placed all these things in a row, and it, and it happened just like that. And I said, okay, Lord, now, Now I'll do this that I was going to do. I'll make this financial decision. But so many times we just go through life and and you know what the Lord said to me? He goes, hey big boy, if you think you can make decisions on your own, then you just go right ahead. You think you can go out there and you can do it on your own, then you just have at it. Because you know what's going to happen? Is I'm going to reap the consequences Because I didn't inquire of the Lord. David, before he did anything, Lord, what is it you want me to do? I will inquire of the Lord. If you want us to go to battle, let me inquire of the Lord. What is it you want me to do here, God? Before I take a new job, before I do something in my life, have you inquired of the Lord? Have you made Him the centerpiece? Is your life in orbit around Him? Mine wasn't this week. Jesus was brutally honest. He says... This will cost you everything. Fans or followers. We're all going to die someday. How are you going to make your life count? It's inevitable that that's going to happen. But you know what I want to do? I want... This life that I live, I said this to somebody not too long ago. I said, this life I'm living, it may not be here at Ignite, it may not be in Springville, I don't know where the Lord will take me. But I will tell you this, I will not relent. I am going to fix myself upon the prize. Whether it's the day that the rapture happens or it's the day that I die and I'm put in the grave and that day, my my last breath here is my first breath there. It doesn't matter to me. I will continue. I am resolving myself to that's what I'm going to do. Be a disciple of Christ. A follower of Him. And anything He asks, of me, that I'll be able to do it because I'll say, God, this is what I want to do in my life. In verse fourteen of, uh, chapter 14, verse 20, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish that's what he's asking us tonight. Even our relationship with him. Have you sat down? You know, my, my wife told me a couple of years ago before this all began, she says, well, I'm going to get some ladies and we're going to go down and we're going to start praying up and down the street. And I said, oh, man. <laughs> I said, honey, do you know what this is, you know is going to cost? Because I was settled. I was happy just moseying along thinking I was fine well how did you say it Scott just paddling along in your, in your little tube that's what we do back in Missouri we get in the tubes and we, we ride down the river oh it's so much fun and the Lord says guess what you're never going to get in a tube again you're going to be swimming upstream for the rest of your life you, <laughs> I had to count the cost Whew. The cost is this. When people come up to get saved now, I want want them to think about this. I want to think, before they make repentance, before they they want to develop this relationship, before they ever get saved, I want them to question, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Have they counted the cost? Have they counted what this commitment is going to mean? Because see, we as, as preachers, we are salesmen. Come to Jesus, and I'm going to tell you, your life is going to be so much better everything is going to be fine. No. It may get worse. But I will tell you this, in the midst of that, there is a peace. In the midst of that, there is a reason that if my life, I die today, I know that my life has reason. I know that my life has purpose. This is not the easy road. This is the broad road, that, the default gate. This is, the way to Christ is the difficult way. It means to strive to enter that narrow gate. A quick little prayer asking Jesus into our heart doesn't line up with the cost of being a disciple of Christ. In Luke 9.51, and this is where I really wanted to go, and I'm sorry I'm taking so long, I just hope you guys can bear with me just for a minute here. All right. In Luke 9.51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus, I've never seen this before, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus could see his destiny lied in Jerusalem. His death lied in Jerusalem. He knew the Father's plan. He knew where He was supposed to go. And He knew that it was going to be a fight. If not, why did He say He resolutely put His... Set his there's one, in the King James Version it says He set His face. Deliberately set His face towards Jerusalem. That word resolutely means to fix firmly. To direct myself toward, to strengthen, to establish, to stand, to set a fast, to solidly plant, to eliminate vacillation. Jesus knew this, that there would be no place for quitters. A disciple cannot be a quitter. See, the thing is, is in our life today, we can quit everything. We don't like the church we're going to. I don't like the way he preaches. Did you notice he didn't even shake my hand today? I'm going someplace else. I asked to help out and they said, you know what, we don't need any help. Well, then I'm mad. I'm going to go someplace else. And that's how we operate. We walk in a fence constantly. And then we go find some other place that will suit us. Well, that preacher, now he's He's speaking to me because he's telling me about all these great things I'm going to have in Christ. Ooh, I love that. See, the path of least resistance will not do. This is a do or die proposal. Being a disciple of Christ. Many today will quit Christ. They will quit their marriage. They will quit their family. They will quit their job because that's the easy thing to do. They'll even quit life. But Paul said it like this. He had a resolve. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. Paul? After everything he had done, he, used, he, could say, he could say that he could be disqualified after all of that? Well, surely, Greg, that just means that he just meant that he would, he would probably lose a crown or something. One of the jewels around his, his crown would be gone. No, I, I, would, I looked up that word, disqualified, in the Greek. And it means to fail the test. Unapproved. Counterfeit. Unfit for service. Is it possible, is it possible that we can go through life and we can be disqualified because we did not pass the test? I don't want anyone going through life, I don't want anybody in this building to think that a one time thing that they did at this, the, the altar is going to, to carry them through the rest of their life. I will tell you right now, from this place to the death, the, that, that in between is walking as a disciple. That's, this is just the beginning. This right here says, you know what? I'm going to become more like Christ. I'm going to be transformed. Like we see in my, my little carry right here. The transformed life. God just ripping everything out and saying, you know what? Here's what I want to do with you. I'm going to transform you. That's what should happen in our lives. If that hasn't happened in our lives, then we're just fooling ourselves. and I'll be honest with you, we are fools. I was thinking about this. This, is, this sounds bad, but I'm, I want to tell you this, we would be foolish to just play this game. Guys, this, I mean, this, this really got to my heart. I was like, Lord, you know what? If I am not going to be all in, if I am not going to make this my everything, then you know what? I am, by all men, Paul said, pitied. Because you know what? I've gone through all these things, all this commotion, and at the end I'll be disqualified because I didn't do what Christ had called me to do. I don't want that for my life. I don't want that for your life. Luke nine fifty two 52, as, as he was talking a little bit past where we, we started, where Jesus resolutely put himself out there. He says, and he sent messengers to go ahead, who went to Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. Because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he he and his disciples went to another village. Samaritans represent the mixing that I talked about two weeks ago. The Samaritans, Jesus said this to the Samaritan woman. He says, you worship that which you do not know. Samaria represents us uh, bringing the world in, and bringing idol, all the idols of the world in, and bringing a little bit of Christianity and mixing it together. And then we have this beautiful potion that makes us feel good, because you know what, we went to church, we did these things, but yet we're still not transformed, we're still living. Like, like Francis Chan said, there. it's very easy to look in Revelations chapter 3, and say, you know what, it's very easy to say, are you in or are you out? See, really, what we really need is we have people that are coming in from the world that are unsaved. And they're in this category. And then over here, we have some people that really want to be disciples of Christ. But in this middle ground, we have all these people that are lukewarm, that go to church, take up space, are not producers, that are just consumers... And what we need to do is get these disciples over here with these people right here that need Christ. But instead, we spend all our time working on these people right here who have no intentions of ever coming to where they need to be with Christ. See, our churches cater to this right here. We don't want to talk to these people over here because these are radicals. These people really want the Lord. But these people, in this category right here, these people right here, we, our churches are, are, all, are, are, are all geared towards this right here. Let's make them happy. Let's give them, you know what we need is we need a marriage class. Ooh, that'll keep them going. We gotta keep them in church. Oh, oh, wait, 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 a second. You know, what? No, you know what, no, they have kids. We better have a good, good youth program. Because if we don't, then they're not gonna wanna come. And you know what, we better have great worship because if we don't, they're not, and you know what, And you better have a good sermon that's very light and very easy upon the mind and heart because, you know what, if you don't, these people will get upset and they'll go find another place. And we swirl around right here, our churches swirl in this area and can't get out of it because these people over here are the ones that are ready to transform this world. They're ready to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These people right here want to see that happen. But it's much easier to be right here. It's much easier to be in the tube. Floating down the river. Ooh. Just flapping along. Isn't that how you said it, Scott? He, when he, I, I saw the picture when he told me it. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to get there, brother. My feet dangling. Belly hanging out. Butt in the water. Woo. The Samaritans represent that mixture, that dabbling of the real and the false. It was a three-day trek from Samaria, Samaria from, from Samaria to Jerusalem. And they needed a place. And so what did the disciples do? They say, hey, you know what? They told us we can't stay here. You want us to call down fire from heaven right now? We'll nuke them. We'll do it. Hey, we'll do it. And, you know, in the, in the chapter before that, they had difficulty driving out a demon. And Jesus said, oh, how long will it be? And now they're like, hey, okay, we saw how this is done. Give us some power. We're ready. We will call. You want to see it happen right now? We'll, we'll level this place. Elijah did it. See, you know what the thing is? is in our lives, we, even as we come to church, we'll sit there... And our mind will begin to think of something. You know, something will be said. Even like a message tonight, and we'll go, well, I don't know about all that. And we'll turn ourselves away. Well, you know, I, I did that little salvation prayer, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy just staying right there in that. And we'll, we'll, we'll waller around in that place. We'll let it just bounce around in our heads. And we'll reject what the Holy Spirit has for us. You've probably... Sometimes we've done this, we've already made up our minds before the story's even done. We will restrict, we will resist the Spirit of God speaking into our life. We'll miss the direction, we'll miss the voice of the Lord because we've already made up our minds. We get offended so easily that now we're more worried about being right than hearing someone out even. Are you here for you? Or are you here for Him? See... Our churches would drastically change if we were really here for him. See, but most of the time, we're here for us. This, I, want, I want something that makes me feel good. I want to feel, hear about prosperity. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I want to hear about how God's going to bless me. I don't want to hear about how I'm going to have to carry the cross. Whew, no. I don't want to hear how I may have to die early like John the Baptist did. I don't want to hear that. Don't quit. Fight, claw, crawl, scratch, get there. It's going to take all you are. It's going to take all you'll ever be. All hell will fight against you. You better be ready. I'm going to tell you that. When you make a commitment to the Lord, it means that all hell is going to fight you. The disciples understood that. In 1st Peter 4:17, my wife gave me this scripture this week. It says, "For it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? And if it is hard who listen to this I don't know if we've ever even heard this if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly? If it's hard for the righteous to be saved? See, we think we're just going to slip in. We think we're going to coast in through the back door. It's going to be a fight. You're going to strive to get there. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oswald Chambers says this about that word salvation there. And it's not the the typical word sozo. It It has something on the backside of it which changes it just a little bit. But he says this, with focused attention and great care, you have to work out what God works in you. Not to work to accomplish or to earn your own salvation, but work it out so that you will be able to exhibit the evidence of a life based with determined, unshakable faith on the complete and perfect redemption of the Lord. As you do this, you do not bring, an opposing, you, you not bring an opposing will up against God's will. God's will is your will. Your natural choices will be in accordance with God's will. And living this life will become like natural as breathing. The process of salvation. Yes, it's free. But being a disciple will cost you everything. The work that Jesus did on the cross was free. It was for you. It was, it, all we have to do is take it, yes. But living this life as a disciple, he says it's going to cost you everything. Don't, don't fool yourself into thinking, that it, well, you know, I live in this grace, grace, grace. Grace empowers you to live right. Grace empowers you to be where you need to be with Christ. Grace transforms you. Luke fourteen thirty four. it says salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is, is neither fit for the soil nor for the new manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever hears, has ears to hear, let him hear. Three things that salt does. It's a, it's a seasoning, it's a preservative, and it's a fertilizer. If it's lost its saltiness, Jesus says here, and he's talking, this is, this is going back to where I first started in, in chapter 14, where he was talking about being a disciple. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, it's of no use. Some of us have lost our saltiness. He says it like this, because it can be used as preservative, it can be used as seasoning, and it can also be used as fertilizer, because they would put it on the dung pile. But Jesus was saying that when you've lost your saltiness, I can't even throw you on the poop pile. That's what I'm talking about tonight. I know this is probably getting, some of you guys are going, well, I'm not going back to hear that guy again. (laughs) This is my first time here and I didn't realize what he was going to be talking about. He's putting a whooping on me. I'm putting a whooping on myself. I have been poking myself in the eye all week long with this message. I have been fighting it, and then then Lou Ann comes up to me and says, to "Before she goes, I know I don't know what you're preaching about tonight." And she's never done this. She's, but I just got to pray for you because I know that what the word of the Lord is tonight. What I'm, what you're going about to say is the word of the Lord. I fasted and prayed over this, Lord. What is it you want me to say? This is not the 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 feel good message. This message is painful. It hurts. Jesus called us the salt of the earth, but if we've lost our saltiness, we're of no use. 1 Corinthians 15.2 says, By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. See, do you see the theme here? A disciple is disciplined. He's obedient. If... By this gospel and, and and I wanna I'm gonna take you guys in just a second here. First Corinthians fifteen two says, By this gospel you are saved. But actually what it says there is the the, the verb tense says this by this gospel you are being saved if you hold firmly to what I preach to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. What I'm telling you tonight is a simple little message, that was that a little prayer that was spoken maybe years ago in your life. If it hasn't transformed you, if it isn't changing you, if it's not making a disciple out of you, and you are creating disciples out of yourself, then you need to take a look and say, God, what is it that you're wanting to do here? What is it that you're wanting to do in my life? The the theme here is obedience. Ray Steadman about this scripture says this, commenting on this very verse. He says, Paul goes on to say that the gospel is doing a second thing by which you are being saved. Now he puts it in the present tense. That is why it is translated that way. It is not by which you were saved, the past tense, or by which you will be saved. That is the future tense. It is by which you are now saved. Being saved. The present tense indicates that he is thinking about our present earthly experience. I am presently being saved. If I'm obeying, if I'm walking in, if I'm being obedient to what Paul says here, if you hold firmly to what I preach to you. God chasers. I was reading a book, Thomas Ten, Tommy Tenney, it's an older book, and he says he says some of us are like archaeologists. We're bloodhounds. We're always looking on the trail where God has been. Others want to be where God is. Amen. The disciples, the apostle, the one who had been with Jesus. They spent their time with him. They said, "I know him." There's a difference between being a fan and being a follower. I want you to say close. This is how the, the apostles died. Put to death by sword. Boiled alive. That didn't kill him. So he's imprisoned and he died old age. Killed by the sword in Ethiopia. Thrown from the pinnacle of the temp- temple, then beaten. Because that didn't kill him. He fell off the temple. That wasn't enough. Filleted to death by whipping. I don't even know. I can't even hardly say. Filleted filleted to death by whipping, flogged, then tried to cross, to, uh, they, they, then they tied him to a cross to prolong his death for two days and he witnessed to those who had put him there. He was crucified upside down because he, he couldn't be crucified like his, his Christ. Martyred while being a missionary, stabbed, stoned, then beheaded. It's not enough to be stoned, let's go knock their heads off too. And this was the guy, Matthias was chosen after Judas had went out and hung himself. This is what being a disciple looks like. Greg, isn't there something else? Isn't there something in between? Isn't there just living a nice Christian life? Isn't it? There... No. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, not just a fan. I tell you tonight this because this, this cut to my core. I don't want us to just be a fan of Jesus. Jesus. When he directs something towards us, I want it to, to mean something. And tonight, I'm sorry I took so long. I just, I felt like this, this message needed to get out and the Lord has been dealing with me. So you bear with me. If it's your first time here tonight, I, I apologize for that. But also I want, I, want us to, I want us to be transformed. We cannot just walk through this life and think everything is all hunky-dory. I don't care if your pastor pats you on the back on Sundays and gives you some cookies and coffees and says you'll be okay and sends you back out there. No, no. I want to be a disciple, Scott. That's what he spoke to me this week. He was. I was walking through my yard and he said this to me, he said, and I said, Scott, that's it. That's it. God's calling us to be disciples. God is calling all of us. And I know next week we'll probably have half half this crowd because some of you guys go, I don't want that. I'm going to close with a, um, a worship song. When I was a
1: kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how, in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it you memorize you guys it, it doesn't make any sense a lot of the things we do when he tells us to go out and make disciples and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples but they memorized it you know I tell my daughter hey, hey Rach go clean your room she doesn't come back to me two hours later and go I memorized what you said <laughs> you said Rach go clean your room I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said? And talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do I'd start making disciples.
0: We, we live in a day where it means almost nothing to be a Christian. According to research, almost four out of every five Americans identify themselves as Christians. Four out of five. But in this group of self proclaimed Christians, less, of, less than half of them are involved in church on a weekly basis. Less than half of them actually believe the Bible is true. The overwhelming majority of them don't have a biblical view of the world around them. So researchers went even deeper then to distinguish men and women who are born again Christians, as if there's any other kind of Christian. But these are people who say they've made a personal commitment to Jesus. They believe they'll go to heaven because they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. And according to research, almost half of Americans, so half of Americans are born-again Christians. But you look at this group of born-again Christians, and researchers found that their beliefs and lifestyles are virtually indistinguishable from the world around them. Many born-again Christians believe that their works can earn them a place in heaven. Others think that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Some believe that Jesus sinned while he was on earth. And an ever-increasing number of born-again Christians just describe themselves as marginally committed to Jesus. So people have used data like this to conclude that Christians are really not that different from the rest of the world. But I don't don't think that interpretation of that research is accurate. I think the one thing that's abundantly clear from those statistics is there are a whole lot of people in our country who think that they are Christians, but they are not. There are scores of people here and around the world, who culturally identify themselves as Christians and biblically are not followers of Christ.
2: With that segue, you probably know where I'm going, and you came back a second time, so you were warned last week. <laughs> last week's message has left me comp- is very disturbed. If you if you didn't we weren't here I want you to make sure you get one. Is there there's lots of them back there. If you weren't here last week, you need to get that message. Maybe I'm just making this too hard. Maybe a casual walk with Christ. Maybe just patting you on the back and telling you all is well, maybe that would be a lot easier. Maybe that would be achievable for most of us. The problem is, is when I reconcile what Christ's words and commands were with what I see today in the life of the church. See, we make everything Christian today. We throw a t-shirt on we put a logo we just add jesus to our existing life we're free in christ aren't we so let's just invite him into what we're doing and then you know what then we'll be okay easy believism you can't live act talk and just add jesus as a fix for things Well, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I don't smoke dope. I'm a good person. The problem is, is this. As I've analyzed this message from last week, and even when I'm going to speak to you tonight, it hits me because I was raised in a Christian home. I had parents who raised me the right way. Yet, I see the word of Jesus. I see the words of Jesus calling me to something more something I am not living yet something I have to live out last week I ended here in Luke chapter 9 verse 51 and it says as the time approached for him to be as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem the King James Version says he steadfastly set his face there was no place For quitting in Jesus' mind as to what he was going to do and where he was going to go. That word resolutely means to fix firmly, to strengthen, to establish, to stand. It demonstrates a resoluteness, a resolve, a steadfastness, a perseverance, a tenacity. This is what the road to salvation looks like. See, in Luke... 9.52, the next verse he says, So Jesus sent messengers ahead who went into Samaria, the Samaritan village, to get things ready. Jesus always sends people ahead of him. What's going on in the earth today is Jesus sending people out. He's calling us, Francis Chan. He's calling people that will not be the same. He's calling us out of where we've been. He sent John the Baptist. In the next chapter, in chapter 10, he says he sent out the 70. And it says that he sent them out ahead of him. Jesus always sends people out to prepare the way. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. The Samaritans, who I said last week, they were the mixers. They mixed Christianity with all the idols that they had. And they mixed it all up, which is what we see in our world today. The religious spirit that permeates our land. The world will hate you. If they are embracing you, you're doing something wrong. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Remember I said last week, they had all new power and authority. Jesus, do you want us to nuke them? We'll do it right here. We'll level this place. Jesus will never allow us to destroy others to achieve or to obtain our destiny. Jesus does not want you to crawl on someone else, claw them out of the way, so that you can get to where you need to be with Christ. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then he said to his disciples, and they went to another village. And then in verse 57, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts the hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for service to the kingdom of God. Jesus understood these men as he was discerning them properly. But as I look at these men, as I look at these three men, I would have approved their application for service. Think about it. The first one, he says, Jesus, here I am, I'm ready. His answer to Jesus was unconditional. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. The second says, listen, I have a family emergency. I want to follow you. But I have a family emergency. My father... He's dying. Okay, that seems like a legitimate legitimate excuse. The third one, listen, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus, but I just need to go say goodbye to my family. It appears here that Jesus wants volunteers, and then he drives them off. The word follow in the Greek is a present imperative. It means ongoing, never-ending Continuous. When he says, I want you to follow me, he's not saying, I want you to follow me for this one time. He's saying, I want you to follow and continue following. I want you to follow me to the ends of the earth. I want you to follow me and not stop following me. This relationship he was requesting is not a, a romantic interlude. This is a lifelong, careful thought out, long living commitment. See, modern evangelism, though, makes it like this. Becoming a Christian is a matter of a moment, not a lifetime. Accepting Christ is an emotional experience. But Jesus said He wasn't looking to to catch someone at the right moment. He wasn't looking for a crisis in their life to bring them to Jesus. He was saying this. He says, I'm telling you this, that everything within your being must want Me. See, we can't... And let I me mean, just add this to you. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves, you know, Lord, if, if you would just save this person, this person who, this big country singer, or this, this, this rock star, if you, would, if, you would, if you would save one of these people in town, one of our, 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 our drug dealers in town, that would, that would just, that would do everything. That would just be life-changing. And we look to that as the goal. But see, the thing about Jesus is he, is, he doesn't do things the way we do it. He looks for the insignificant ones. He looks for the lonely and deprived ones. He looks for the ones that look like they are insignificant and meaningless to this life. He's not interested in being the most popular. He's not worried about saving the big country star. Salvation for Jesus meant inviting someone into the kingdom, inviting them to receive forgiveness and salvation. He was asking them, not for a moment, he was demanding the rest of their lives. He wanted a carefully thought out commitment of a lifetime. Repentance from sin, confession as Jesus as Lord, and obedience from the heart to the Word and to the Spirit in God of, for life. See, let's look at these three people, these three individuals, because I was looking at them thinking to myself, these guys, they don't look that bad. Lord, why were you you pushing them back? One of them even, his first thing was, I'm ready, wherever you want me to go. The first volunteer in verse 57, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. My answer back is this. This is what I would tell him today. I'll take you. This guy's ready. You can build church with this guy. He is ready to go. Wherever I go, he's ready to follow. That's a guy that you can take and you can build church around. If I had a group of them, woohoo! what could we do? We can set this place on fire. But Jesus goes to this willing guy, this able guy, this ready guy, this guy who's volunteering. Jesus answers him and he says, foxes have dens and birds have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus, what are you doing? This guy is willing. He's a warm-blooded person who's wanting to follow you. We would just snag him up. Plug him in. Give him a job in church. Something to do for the kingdom. To keep him alive. Don't let him get away. We can build around this guy. Jesus' discernment, his commitment... He knew that this man was only looking at this from a geographic setting. See, a volunteer in the army... Remember, some of us remember back in the 70s. Be all that you can be. Join the army. Look cool. Put on a uniform. Look at all this equipment we're going to have. But see, that same guy would run back to the sergeant when the war begins. And he says, Did you know... These guys are shooting at me with real bullets, and did you see the missiles flying in? See, that's what happens with a lot of us. We we want to come to Christ, and then the battle begins, and then we go, "I wasn't bargaining for that. I didn't know the devil he was going to attack me like this. It hurts." I didn't sign up for this. Are you willing to endure the boot camp? Obeying orders, hardship. See, being with Jesus was a cool thing to be doing. He was the most popular thing going in Israel. I'm a real Christian, he could say. Jesus says so. I'm with him. See, this isn't glamour shots. Jesus says, I don't have a home. I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I may be sleeping on the ground. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. See, for us, inconvenience will set us off. See, we come to church, and if the air conditioner wasn't working tonight, we'd be like, (sighs) (sighs) Really? Really? Who didn't pay the power bill? We would be upset inconvenience see and I'm going to pick on my wife just for a second see she likes she's like Pastor Mark they like everything orderly and in order and if things get out of order I'm telling you what get out of the way when things get out of order there's going to be trouble inconvenience when our plans are ruining this didn't go the way I wanted to I didn't plan for this I'm ready to give up Jesus was saying this, that following me me means imitating me. I will give you the pattern for life, not a romantic adventure. See, many of us think this life with Christ is a romantic adventure. That's why, what he was saying before, four out of five people believe they're Christians. Because it's a romantic adventure to be with Christ. Christ. But they have no idea what it's like to be a disciple. The second volunteer in verse 59, he said, he said to another man, he says, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. This is a family emergency. The death of your father seems like a very acceptable, excusable excuse here. Does he tithe? That's what the pastors would ask. If he does, let's give him an excuse. Get him back in here when he's done. Go bury your father, keep tithing, and everything will be just fine. Plug this guy in. Make him a royal ranger leader. Make him a Bible study teacher. Give him a purpose so he can fulfill his calling. Make him a deacon or an elder so he has something going on in his life. He'll have purpose for the church. See, but Jesus tells this guy, again, is Jesus looking for volunteers, or is he looking to push them all back? Jesus said in verse 60, he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus, what are you doing? This guy's in a family crisis, and you hit him while he's already knocked down. See, But Jesus again understood, he had discernment. He said, he understood that this man's delayed commitment meant that he would never be where he needed to be with Christ. See, many commentaries and many students of the Bible say about this man, they say, his father had not died yet. But he needed to do and be around the house, helping until his father passed on. He needed to be the breadwinner. He needed to be helping with what's going on. See, he just needed time to finish things here, and then he could follow Christ. See, anything that competes with Christ for your loyalty must be forsaken as an idol. It may not be sinful. It may be religious. It may be even doing the right thing. But anything that competes with Christ for our loyalty must be forsaken. Jesus wasn't telling us here to forsake our obligations and commitments. We have made plans to take care of our family. The Bible tells us that we have to do that. But he was saying that nothing can be on the same level playing ground as his relationship to Christ. See, nothing can be even in the same vicinity Nothing can be even in the same universe as our relationship to Him. That's how important He's supposed to be. And this is why the message from last week and this week has just gnarled me up inside. Because you know what? I want to go through life and I want to be able to enjoy the pleasures of life. I want to be able to enjoy things that are going on around me. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to put me on this level And everything else, family, friends, your spouse, your grandkids, everything else is down here. It isn't even going to be in the same playing field, in the same range. It's not even going to be in the same universe. Because your relationship to me is going to be so important. This is Jesus talking. Someone came up to me at the end of the service last week and said, "You know, Greg, I don't even know after you've preached that message. I don't even know if I'm saved." <laughs> the problem with it is, is this: These are Jesus' words himself. This isn't Isaiah or Ezekiel speaking something in the past. This is what Jesus is telling us right now, for today, for our lives. Jesus was telling us not to go leave our wife, but to put ourselves in a place with Christ where you know you may have to tell your wife, you know what, I've got to go spend time with Jesus tonight. I've got to turn off the TV. I've got to put everything else aside because I need to go spend time with my Savior. Wife, it may mean the same thing for you. It may mean you go, you know what? I love you, husband. But tonight, I have to spend time with Jesus. It means that we may hide ourselves away with Christ to spend time in prayer with Him, in His Word, Have you forsaken everything else for Christ's sake? Some would say, well, I'm still a kid. I want to go have fun. I have a life ahead of me. I have a life to live. I've got to learn how to go make money. A friend of mine, he doesn't live around here. He lives in in Texas, but he he said, you know, I'm going to go and... I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go make all this money. And, and, and I believe he's doing an ungodly thing. But he says, i got to go do this so that I can support the kingdom. God is not calling us to do something contrary to his word. In Luke chapter 9 verse 23, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. That's what Jesus is telling us. The word deny there means to refuse association with. Jesus is saying this. If you come after me, you have to come to, me, come to the point where you refuse any association, to, in, to associate any longer with the person that you are. When you get to the place where you no longer want to associate with, with the sinner that you are, that's when you're ready to be a disciple of Christ. See, many people will spend Easter thinking about Jesus. They'll spend Christmas thinking about Jesus. When someone dies, they'll think about Jesus. Or occasionally during the week, we may let Him pass our mind. The rest of our time is thinking about me. What I want. What I want to do. My desires. My ambitions. My objectives. See, the reason this hurts tonight is because this message is for me. Whether it touches you or not tonight, it's touching me. Last week's message ruined this whole week, I'm going to tell you right now. He's my life's ambition. He's my obsession. He's the one which sets my life in orbit. He is my focal point to every decision. Everything revolves around Him. What we do, how I do it, what I think about what He would think I'm doing, how He perceives what's going on in my life, how He perceives what I'm doing. I have to be in constant awareness of what He's saying and what He's he's doing in my life. My life becomes an orbit around Christ. See, when we get in orbit around Jesus, that circle, we are always, a part of us is always facing Christ. See, this life which we're living in, Jesus told this man, he says, go let the dead bury the dead. Why was he saying that? He's saying, listen, you're living in the present. What I want you to do is I want you to live in the eternal. See, we can live in the present and we can function with what's going on around us. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to step out of that and I want you to walk in this spirit realm. Over here, these are the things that are going to last. Those things are all going to pass away. See, like little Luann. When a family member passes away. When your husband leaves. All you have is Jesus. See, we think this life is all about what we have around us. Friends, family, all these things. They're so important. But they're all going to disappear one day. He's saying, listen... If I'm your focal point, when your marriage is going through trials, when I'm your focal point, it will not change your attitude. See, when things are, when you have trouble at home, he's saying, listen, when I'm your focal point, when I'm up here where I belong in your life, it won't matter what's going on down here. Oh, yeah, it may, it may prick at your feet, it may make you feel uncomfortable, but you know what? You've you've set your sights on something else. The third volunteer, in verse 61, he said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. This won't take long. Just let me say goodbye. This doesn't even seem wrong to me. I'm thinking, let him go do it. See, Jesus, he doesn't answer things the way I would. Because he says to him, he says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Lord, you're you're telling this guy he may never see his family again. What if his his family members die while he's, he's chasing after you? Jesus says, listen, what I want you to do is, is make me your focal point. See, every farmer knows this. You can't plow a straight line, a straight row, looking backwards. Every highway patrolman knows this, that you don't drive looking through your rearview mirror. <laughs> Perhaps Jesus knew that if he returned home, his father would try to talk some sense into him. The obligations of family. His wife would say, look, I'm pregnant here. His mother sobbing. How can you leave the family now? See, it wasn't that he was saying goodbye is wrong. It was that he was doing so to keep him from following Christ. And what Jesus was trying to tell us is, this relationship... Nothing else can hold a candle to it. See, and if it is, and this is the problem where this thing just gnarls me up, is that it's so hard, Lord. It's so hard to live in this spiritual realm because everything around me revolves around this physical realm. Everything I do, everything that affects me is right here and you're wanting me over here and in this place with you where nothing else seems even significant. See, this is what being a disciple of Christ looks like. This is just living in the world. You might even call yourself a Christian over here. But this isn't a disciple. See, that's why this message is cutting. Like that one guy said last week, it pokes me in the eye. See, when you look back, your heart is not fully committed to going forward. Jesus, in verse 51, the very first started, he said, Jesus resolutely set His face to the cross. He knew what He needed to do and He had to resolve it. I'm telling you guys tonight, what we have to do in our relationship with Christ is we need to set our faces. We need to resolutely put that resolve in. Know that this is not a, a, a momentary commitment. This is lifelong. This is a pursuit that is never ending. See, why is that? Because the enemy's going to come in with doubt. He's going to attract this past life. He's going to bring everything he can to distract you. But we must refuse to look back. We must burn the bridges behind us. Don't give yourself a way out or a way back. See, in John six sixty, it says this, On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Ooh, sounds familiar tonight, doesn't it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. I hope you're not doing that tonight. Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? The Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe, and who would betray Him. And He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled them. And the last verse that says, From this time many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's Jesus. See, what does it look like for me? It means forsaking everything, it means ridding myself of all the, the, the comfortable things that keep me from where I need to be with Christ. Does that mean I'm going to go sell my house tomorrow and give up my cars and begin walking? No, no. But it does mean this, is that I have to put this relationship on such a plane that nothing else is going to compare to it. I must look forward. I must set my face. I must resolve. I must be deliberate. Every one of these men had good excuses. All were tied to home. Or family. Think about that. Jesus is saying this. I must come first before your friends, before your family, before your spouse. I must come first. These things aren't bad in of themselves. But I must have first priority. See, and then right after this, I, I finished up there in verse 66. In verse 67 it says this. Jesus tells his disciples after he's given us this long thing and some of the disciples leaves. He tells his disciples, he's talking now to the twelve. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have have the words of eternal life. My, My mind thinks about two things. He says there, Lord, to whom shall we go? We sold our nets. We sold our boats. We've left our families. Think about this. Those disciples that you guys saw last week that died brutal deaths thrown from the temple pinnacle. Those men had families. Some of them had wives. See, everything we need is found in Him. That's what, that's what Peter was saying. He says, You have the words of eternal life. Where can we go? See, we need to get to that place where the big bridges are all burned behind us where we go, Jesus, it's You or nothing because I have nothing left behind me. I have no place else I can go. Nothing else I can turn to. It's got to be You. And then we can say with Peter, Because you have the eternal life. See, because what he's saying is operating in this realm right here. It stepped out of that realm and into this realm with Christ. In Matthew 10, verse 34, and I'm not going to read the whole part, but I'm going to read this last part here where it, it says in verse 37, it says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, family is important. In this life that we live, family is important. I'm not challenging you to give up on your family. I'm challenging you tonight is that I want your devotion to Christ to pale in comparison to everything else. Jesus said that our love for Him would make this relationship look like hatred. That we would love Christ so much. I want your life. Jesus wants all of us. He doesn't want 98%. He doesn't want 99%. He wants it all. See, I was thinking about a man in town who came up and told Ron and I, He went to one of the Man Alive things. He came back and he says, I'm all in! I'm all in! It was an emotional response to something. I don't want you tonight to make an emotional response. See, Jesus understood that an emotional response would not last. He understood that a salvation wrought in crisis may not stand. He wanted us to understand. That's why he would constantly, I almost feel like I picture him pushing him back and saying, listen, if you really want me, then you're going to have to come alongside me because everything in this world is going to drag you back the other way not that Jesus pushes us away but what i'm saying is this relationship i said it from the very beginning pastor mark said it he says the default gate is the gate that goes to hell the gate to life jesus said it like this he says make every effort i think the niv version says Strive to enter through the narrow gate. That word strive means to contend as with an adversary. I said it last week. If we think we're going to float or slide into heaven as a casual Christian, I think we're fooling ourselves. The good thing about all this is it's not too late. Maybe you've been drifting along. Maybe... You've been in that tube, like I said last week. Just riding the river. Paddling along. See, His grace gives us the opportunity tonight to change. His grace says that, you know what, maybe you've been like a Samaritan and you're mixing the world and your relationship with Him. He says, you know what, that's okay. Because it's not too late. This might even be where you're operating right now in church and every place else in your life. You may be operating right here in this realm. But he says, you know what? It's not too late. See, we don't know what happened to these three men. The Bible never says that they came alongside or they just went back home. I have my suspicions. But tonight, we can make the difference. We can say, you know what? I don't have to to stay right here. I can walk in this. This is going to be difficult. This is going to, to try your patience. This is going to try you to your very core. Walking with Christ is going to mean everything, all hell, is going to be thrown against you. You are no longer going to be just floating downstream, but you are going to have to swim hard upstream. See, we can take the choice, the choice is ours. But this choice over here is the default gate. This walking in the Spirit is striving to enter through the narrow gate. See, it's this little, little gate that Jesus wants us going through. Four out of five people in America are not Christians. I would venture to say that maybe one out of five are. And probably less than that are truly disciples of Christ. Guys, I don't, I don't want to leave you with this heaviness tonight because I want you to understand that, this, that what Jesus is giving us, He's saying, listen, ministry is not synonymous with discipleship. Just because you think of discipleship doesn't mean you have to be in ministry. See, ministry in your life is going to flow out of this intimacy with Christ. The Bible's not telling us to neglect our family, but he's calling us to put this on a high priority. Family isn't the goal. See, family will come into alignment when this relationship comes into alignment. Yeah. Marriage, family, friends are not the answer. Jesus, your relationship with him is the only answer. It is the first priority. It is the first level of allegiance. And I want you to know tonight that no matter how insignificant you may seem in it, you may seem in your own eyes, the Lord says tonight, "Listen, I'm going to give you this opportunity. You can come over here. You can come over here. You can enter through that narrow gate. See, I'm, this is why it's clawing at me all week long, because these are Jesus' words. This isn't mine. I didn't come up with this. This is Him speaking. I wish it was an easier way. I wish we could float along. I wish we could just slide into heaven and it would be all good and we'd be, lo- and we'd be just, you know, we'd be all happy about it. But it doesn't operate like that. Jesus tells us what we need to look like, He gave us the example. Tonight, I deliberately. Left extra time at the end of our service because I have some worship tonight. And tonight, as we just, I want you just to, to worship along with this first this first song. And then I'm gonna what I'm gonna do, and I'm not asking any of you guys to do this with me. If you feel that this is where you want to be, the, on the next song, I'm coming forward. And I'm repenting. I'm repenting from where I've been. I'm repenting. See, Jesus said, when he said deny yourself, he says, I want you to, to put yourself so far back that you hate that sin, that you hate it, that you despise it. I want to walk in this place with him. And I'm going to ask you, if that's your heart's cry tonight, next, the second song, I'm going to ask you to come forward. You can kneel, you can come to the altar. I may pray out loud with a microphone, repenting, but it's about what we want to do with Christ, where we want to be with Him.